Good morning. My name is Nick Gillespie. I'm the Community Life Pastor here at Covenant Church. And again, to express what Kyle did, we're so glad that you are gathered with us this morning, even if it's virtually. Uh, So I think somewhere in the crosshairs of Darwin's uh, survival of the fittest and Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs is the junior high cafeteria experience. I mean, when you are in 7th and 8th grade and you get your schedule for the year, I mean, you're looking at your classes and like when your classes are going to fall in place, what you're most concerned about is that lunch period. What time is that lunch period and who of my friends might actually be at lunch with me? Because the thought of being at lunch and not having a table to sit at is more than someone in junior high could actually bear to experience or to deal with. To think of having to eat all alone for an entire year is dread. When I was in eighth grade, I remember the very first day that we went, I went through that uh, lunchline cafeteria. I got my lunch. I paid. And then as I uh, paid, I turned and looked out into the sea of eighth graders sitting at all of their different to- uh, tables in all of their different groups and wondering, where can I sit? Now, at that time, you've got to understand something. I mean, Nick's circle of friends was really rather small. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of options to choose from when it came to having a group of people to sit with in order not to have to sit all by myself. And so I began to walk up and down the aisles in the cafeteria looking for friends, and I found none. Well, I should say I did find two by default. One was kind of an acquaintance from a band, and another one was a foreign, uh, foreign exchange student named Benoit, and those two were already sitting at the table. I knew them well enough to say, hey, can I sit with you guys? And that was who I sat with in eighth grade. Now, as fate would have it, the three of us sat at this table by ourselves. We formed a group, not because we belonged to one another, but because we had nowhere else to sit. And four feet away on the other side of the aisle was, you guessed it, the cool kids' table. The big, long table of, you know, kids that were socially adept, were funny, were athletic, were good-looking. It was like the Beverly Hills strip of, you know, the lunchroom tables. And we longed to be able to sit and belong to that group. But rather, we sat by ourselves. I think Michael Scott, the character from The Office, summed it up well when he said this, Man, I love inside jokes. I hope that I get to be a part of one one day. As humans, we long to belong. We we must, we have to find that group, that community to whom we belong, where we get our identity, whom we can receive, whom we can contribute to. And it is no different than uh, in our spiritual lives. In fact, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that we have an eternal place with the Father. That the gospel is a story of eternal belonging. That if the gospel is anything, it is certainly a story of eternal belonging. And the gospel of Jesus Christ gives the church community a frame, framework from which it, it exercises its mission and which it forms its community. And so we're actually, we're picking up uh, kind of part two of a series that sort of we're hitting on kind of throughout the year as we talk about who are we as covenant. Who are we? And, you know, a couple months ago we talked about we are worshiping people. And this morning we're going to look at the scriptures of how we are a community who belong. 
we are a belonging community, that we belong to one another and that we create belonging for others. And that's not just a belonging for here and now on this earth and this lifetime, but it's an eternal belonging, an eternal place that each of us has amongst God and his family. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John, he articulated how it is that we belong to the Father and how it is that we belong to one another when he said this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There's a lot of things that John articulates here, here when it comes to the way it is that we belong to Jesus and how Jesus makes us fit for his community. And really, as he says it, how it is that God's love has come to us and the type of love that God extends to us. And so as we talk about being a people, a church of belonging, we have to shift what we might perceive what it means to belong to what the gospel calls us to be with one another. The first thing is that, they, that belonging is a shift from being an outsider to being an insider. Belonging is a shift from being an outsider to insider, that God's love loves us all the way in. As John says, we are his children. He says it a couple of times here. We are, those of us who are in Christ, we are his sons and his daughters. That's the type of place, that's the type of position that we have amongst his family. I'm reminded of the Old Testament story of Rahab. You can find it in Joshua if you want to read it on your own. And uh, here's kind of the story in a nutshell that, that Rahab was among uh, God's, God's people, Israel. She was among God's people's, Israel's enemies. She was an enemy. And so as, as God is kind of bringing in this part of redemptive history, God is bringing his people into the land of Cana, which he was going to give them as a possession that they could settle and they, that they could create a community for themselves where they can worship and follow God faithfully. It was also an act of judgment against these foreign nations who followed foreign idols and actually uh, practiced quite despicable practices, child sacrifice being one of them, that God was also casting his judgment on these other nations for the wickedness. And Rahab was one of them. She was a part of these people, the city called Jericho, and uh, God, or, uh, Israel sent a couple of spies ahead of time before they were to, um, to attack Jericho. And uh, the spies go into this, uh, this city. They're clearly foreigners. And Rahab, who's a prostitute amongst, uh, again, God's people's enemies, she shelters them to protect them. She kind of forsakes her own belonging, her own position amongst her own people in order to uh, protect uh, God's people. I mean, she had heard of God's people. Now, I mean, there was stories that were going on about how God was delivering uh, other nations, other kings over to God's people, that God had brought these people from slavery out of Egypt and were coming into this land. And so she had heard about the power of this God and she believed 
in who he was. So you've got to imagine, you know, if you're overtaking a nation, you know, you might say, well, we want to spare some people, right? The best and the brightest. But Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was on the lowest rung of her society, of her people. And she asked the spy, she said, would you remember me when you come back, when the Lord gives you victory over us? And the spy said, yes, we will. And the beautiful part of the story of Rahab is not only is she spared, but she actually becomes one of God's people. Not as a servant or a slave, she actually becomes one of them. And it's actually a part of the line of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That God, no matter where we are, no matter how far away we are, no matter how far on the outside we might be of his family or his love, that God gives us a type of love that brings us all the way in. That you and I are invited to fully belong to him. The insecurities in our heart, I think, tell a different story. I think the things in the way that we perceive ourselves, we perceive that God might judge us in the same sort of way, like Ross in the TV show Friends. When he was trying to uh, determine, you know, am I going to date Rachel or Julie, he made the pro-con list. With Rachel, he said, man, these are her good qualities and these are her bad qualities. And when Rachel found the list, she was devastated. She said, man, how can you, how can you decide whether or not you're going to be with me based on the negatives against me? I think oftentimes when we think of how does God perceive us, we perceive that he just sees the negative, the black spots, the blemishes, the things that we've done, the reasons that we don't belong as a part of his family. We don't understand or comprehend that our God just doesn't operate that way. He doesn't look at us as if he just sees these, these blemishes or these pot marks or, or these negatives of why we shouldn't belong to be a part of his family or how it is that we might belong in a different way as other than a full-fledged son and daughter of his. What's really kind of interesting, I think, about that eighth grade experience is that actually in eighth grade I made uh, the football team. Well, everyone made the football team. But I actually became a starter on the football team, began hanging out with some of those cool kids at that cool kid table. And uh, I remember one day, uh, one of the guys on the football team is like, hey, why don't you start sitting with us? I got an invitation. I got an invitation to, to move four feet over, which are incredibly changed my status my position amongst my class and so I sat at that table for three days I couldn't bear it really because I didn't feel like I belonged while they had extended to me friendship I just saw I'm not adequate and I sat there for three days and I allowed my inadequacies to determine that I don't belong and I gravitated back to the other table now, that's a junior high story, but I think sometimes in our hearts, we don't allow ourselves to fully belong to God's family because we perceive that there's these negative things, these things that keep us from being a full-fledged son and daughter of God. You see, the gospel is an invitation for you to be all the way in with God, that he sees you and loves you. As John says, do you see the type of love that God has loved you? It's not one that says, here's your positives and here's your negatives. It is one that says, I choose you and I love you. So as a community, we are a community that belongs and we invite people to go from the outside all the way into the inside of God's family. As well, though, belonging calls us as a community to shift from a box-checking spirituality to transformational intimacy with one another. Belonging is a shift from box-checking spirituality to transformational intimacy. 
being a pastor, I have, I feel like, the real great privilege of being able to have some of the best conversations with the people and kind of traversing the most sacred parts of their hearts and their story and their souls. And oftentimes when people meet me and they hear that I'm a pastor, they're really quick to either defend where they're at with their spirituality or they're really quick to kind of share how they are so spiritually inadequate. And oftentimes I hear it with the kind of couch in this should language. Language, Man, I, Hey, pastor, I should be going to church more often than I really do. I shouldn't be cursing as much as I do. I should be reading my Bible more often than I do. I should be giving more. I should, I should, I should. And really, I think that that language is a language of death. That it doesn't, really within that, what we're really actually articulating is that somehow God looks at our behavior and somehow judges us based on the things that we do or don't do and how it is that we're not living up to something. If you can imagine, you know, me buying a, uh, some flowers for my wife and bringing them home to her, and she said, thanks you, honey, what compelled you to buy flowers for me? And I said, well, I, I'm your husband, I should. Man, that sucks all the life out of it. There's a lot of things I should do more as a husband to my wife. I should do a lot more things, but my wife wants me to be motivated by something different. Intimacy, right? To be close to her, to be near her, because I I love her and I want to foster and grow that relationship. That's a different heart position than box checking. And the gospel is not box checking spirituality. It's transformational intimacy. That's why John talks about changing. He says, what we will be has not yet appeared. But when he does appear, we will be like him. Yes, God knows you're not where you should be. God knows that you're not where you will be. But he's not worried about that. You are right where you are. He's okay with that. And he invites you into transformational experience to know him and be known by him and be known by his community. And this transforms you and it transforms others. Again, when we say the gospel is a framework for which a church community takes its shape, what we're saying is that the way that we operate towards each other is not laying out the list of rules that we're trying to, going to hold each other accountable to and that we're going to make sure we check these boxes. No, we're inviting each other into dynamic, life-giving relationship. Transformational community. I remember having this really great conversation with uh, this student named Ben. Uh, ben. This is back when I, I worked on staff with Crew. And um, I, uh, I had been, you could say, courting Ben for like over a year. I love Ben. He, he was just a dynamic personality. We bonded, we clicked. He was really dynamic. And I wanted him to be part of our ministry of crew at that time. But Ben was kind of the social butterfly that he was kind of friends with everybody on campus. This Christian community, that Christian community, that Christian community. And I was asking Ben, hey, would you, would you commit to us? Would you belong to this to this group, really plant your roots in our community. And, and Ben was just kind of reflecting back to me some of his fears. And one of his fears was, hey, I love these things about this community of crew, but here's some things that I don't like so much. And I'm actually afraid that if I commit to you, that these negative things will be really frustrating for me or might be really hard for me. Or, hey, what if I commit to you and I don't commit to this other group? What if I miss out on something that I could have over here so he thought in his mind, if I just sort of bounce around to different places, if I just sort of main on the fringes on the outside of these different communities, then I'll never miss out. I said, Ben, you will miss out. I said, Ben, whether it's us or it's a different community, this is how it works. When we commit to one another, 
when we belong to one another, we actually enter into this dynamic transformational relationship with each other. I said, Ben, you've got to understand something. Yes, it's true. If you commit to crew, if you commit to our people, you're going to become more like us. Some of those positive things are going to rub off on you. And God's going to use the way that we are to grow you and to change you and to, uh, and, and to help you uh, continue to grow up into him. And some of those negative things are going to be frustrating and hard for you. And you're going to have to uh, come face to face with those. But I also want to let you know something else, Ben. We will never be the same. Ben, if you commit to our community, God is going to use you to transform us. And if you don't commit to us, then we will miss out on all that God wants to give us through you. I think oftentimes we very much with this consumer mentality, we just sort of, we perceive that uh, community is maybe a place to just sort of attend, to kind of fringe on, but really it's as we commit to one another, we all change. If you belong to covenant, or you're considering belonging to covenant, we say come and belong to us. And, and, and we're excited to change and be transformed by what God wants to give us through you. I mean, have you ever considered that? Part of you belonging is that God wants to use you to make an eternal, indelible impact on a group of people. And you can't do that from the fringes. You can only do that when you're a part of the group. And vice versa. If you're always on the fringes, then God will never allow his community and his people to grow you and impact you the way that he desires and wants to. There's this gold chain link, belonging, believing, behaving. And sometimes we think that first we have to behave before we can belong, or we have to believe something before we can belong. I think sometimes it's the inverse. Actually, as we take a step towards community and towards belonging, we find ourselves actually believing more about who God is and what the gospel is. And as we find ourselves believing more, we find ourselves changing in a much more natural way. Hebrews 11.31 says this. It says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, but because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You see, Rahab had invited, had welcomed these God's people into her life. And while she was, yes, a prostitute, by her faith, God made her so much more than that. She changed. And also, the whole community of Israel changed because she belonged to them. And this is the type of transformational belonging that God is inviting you into. So belonging is, is a shift from being outsider to an insider. It's a shift from box-checking spirituality to transformational intimacy with God and with his people. And lastly, belonging is a shift from assimilation into bonding or tying in. Belonging is a shift from assimilation into being tied in. Assimilation means it's sort of, I kind of become whatever the group is, and I sort of lose myself. But really what it is is that we are a diverse group of people that is tying other people in. Yes, our unity and our commonality is Christ and our relationship with him, and yet the body, the community is diverse. And we find new ways to tie in people that are different in the way that God has made them. I think sadly the church has been more often known for whom we stand against rather than whom we are eager to receive. I want to say that again. Sadly, I think the church has been more often known for whom we stand against than whom we're eager to receive. 
that people perceive that the church is ready to see their behavior or see the way that their lifestyle or see their, their, uh, their strengths and their weaknesses and that we're ready to, to judge or to pigeonhole people. But really, as a community, the gospel calls us to put more of our energy towards being eagerly ready to receive those whom God brings to us. How is it that we can create more spaces and more places amongst our community and our people to tie more people in? So it's called chemical potential energy. I mean, I've never taken a physics class before in my life, and so I had to call Bruce Kunkel to make sure I got my facts right, my terminology right. But it's called chemical potential energy. And it's different than kinetic energy. So take your car, for example. If your car is sitting still, in order for it to begin moving, you have to inject it with potential energy in order to get the thing moving. And it's, it's, it's more energy on the input to get the thing moving. And once kinetic energy kind of takes its place, the car, while it still needs energy put in, it, it needs a lot less energy and begins to move on its own. It's got an energy of its own. And when it comes to creating belonging within the community, on the front end, as we see people who are maybe on the outside or people who are kind of coming around covenant, uh, it takes more energy for us to put in on the, on the front side in order to help people feel or know that they have a place amongst their people. It takes us putting in more time, more effort, more energy, more resources that they might then be able to begin to move towards our community before they hit the rhythms of community. And as they're incorporated in our community, as they, as they tie into our community, then kinetic energy kind of takes place in their spirituality. You see, the gospel is the chem- chemical potential energy that the church needs to create belonging. Those of us who belong, those whom God has given us his spirit and his heart, that we see people not through our eyes, but through our eyes of our Heavenly Father, as we have been given all that we need in Christ, we then give this out in abundant proportion that we might be able to create pathways for people to tie in with us. That we will do whatever it takes to extend ourselves even into uncomfortable positions that someone might know that if they want to, they can belong here with us. More invitations, more reaching out, more remembering, more following up with people, getting face-to-face with people, getting to know their stories. As I said before, I spent a year courting Ben. I spent a year building into Ben and developing a relationship before I even asked him to come and belong as a part of our community. I put a lot of energy in, and he could have said no, and that would have been fine. But this is the posture that the church has. This is the posture of our Heavenly Father, that he extends the most number of resources in order to go after those who are not yet a part of the family. At Covenant, I'm very proud of the way that we do things. I think we understand this. We do understand this, that we, on one hand, do say that we desire to be a welcoming people because we are a welcoming people. Being the community life pastor, I get to be on the front lines of hearing how people experience our church. And so often, people are like, man, Covenant is like the most welcoming church I've ever gone into. People, people came up that I didn't even know and introduced themselves. People remembered my name when I came back the next week. We do a wonderful job of this. Ritika Kirkbride in our church leads a whole team called the Community Life Guides who actually 
people that fill out connect cards. She leads a team of people who takes him out for coffee just to get to know them. No strings attached. I think of our community group leaders. Our community group leaders who, who every week, every other week are inviting people into their home, making food, having to give up their resources, having to give up hours on their Sunday, having to clean up after people, and they do this with glad, joyful hearts because they're excited to extend the, extend the hands of fellowship to those that they could actually potentially be a part of our people and find a place to belong. Our community group leaders do a fantastic job. And even as things get hard, and I talk to community group leaders who are like, man, we've got 20 kids that we're shoving down in a basement every single week. It's chaotic. And I say, do you have room for more? They say, Nick, I don't know if I have room for more, but yes, we believe God. We have room for more. And I want you to know, even if you have found us virtually on church, there is room for you. We will bend over backwards to make way, to make space for you to come and be a part. That, that there would be nothing in your heart that wonders, would these people bring me in? Would they invite me in? Would they count me amongst one of their own? Yes, we will. And if you don't want to belong to covenant, we hope that you belong somewhere in the local church. Because belonging is where we receive the life of our Heavenly Father through His people. And we get to give our lives away to those that we're in relationship with. So I want to close with this. I just have some questions for you based on maybe where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you said, yeah, I'm an outsider. I don't yet belong as part of the family of God. And I would just ask you, what's keeping you from entering the family? When John wrote this, he wrote this to all of us. Do you see the type of love that God is extending to you? He doesn't see your pro and con list. He doesn't see the reasons why you don't fit. All he sees is his, his, the potential of another son or daughter to be invited at the table with him, to be amongst his family, to be giving their life to the family. That when we're in Christ, that God sees Jesus and God through Jesus extends his love to us. And so if that's you and you're like, man, I want to belong, I don't know how, then we would encourage you, send us that direct message. We would love to talk to you and share with you how you can be a part of the family. Or email me, nick at, nick at bgcovenant.org. We'd love to talk to you about how you can enter God's family. If you're on a fringe, maybe you've been kind of checking out the church, I would just ask you to consider, would God actually be asking you, compelling you to belong? We can have some of those fears of missing out. What if I commit to here? I could be missing over there. But really, you're missing out if you stay on the fringes. You're missing out on being used by God to be part of changing a people and to be receiving from a people what God wants to give to you. Would you come and belong? And for those of us that do belong, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to continue to give of ourselves, to put more energy into inviting those who are the least of these, those who are the most outside, to come and be part of the family. Again, at Covenant, I think we do a wonderful job at this, but will we not become complacent? And might God, this morning, be prompting you to sort of be reaching out to that couple or those people that you know, having these people over for dinner, that you might be extending actively the hand of fellowship to God's son and daughter.